You know, I'm not talking about comedy docs. I'm talking about incredible, engaging, dramatic, heartfelt docs that lean heavy into comedy. Like when you think about American movie, you're not thinking, it's not a comedy. It's, it's this heartfelt American underdog story that, that, that bleeds this, this guy's pursuit to create something and be better than who he sees himself to be. And it just so happens to be fucking fall on your ass funny. And that's awesome. You know what I mean? So that's, that's the kind of stuff that excites me. Hi, and welcome to Drinking with Creatives, where we drown journalistic responsibility in a pool of vodka. My name is Jeremy Berger, a filmmaker and editor. And each week I chat with a professional creative, have a few drinks, and chat about the topics they're currently facing. Each project you take on has its own challenges, and it's a chance to bring your skills to a new level. Talking about this with me today is Josh Corey of Brooklyn Underground Films. Their films include Journey to Planet X and Netflix's Voyeur. Both Josh and director Miles Kane have been working for the past two years on the recent HBO docuseries, I'll Be Gone in the Dark. Take a listen. First off, Josh, what are you drinking? I am drinking uh, the classic uh, Stone Delicious IPA. And it is delicious. Tell everybody who you are, what you're up to, and where you can be found. Uh, my name is Josh Corey. I'm a documentary filmmaker. Um, our, our company is called Brooklyn Underground Films, and um, it's brooklynundergroundfilms.com. And that's where you can see all of our work and find links to where to, to watch it. And, uh, you know, we have Vimeo, and everything's basically a hub around Brooklyn Underground Films. You can also find me, you can find me at FIT. So if you want to uh, join the undergraduate film program, you can be in one of my classes. <laughs> I was just thinking how I should probably go back to film school. What is Voyeur? Tell me about Voyeur, because I think, and I feel like anybody listening, if you haven't seen Voyeur, it's on Netflix now. It's a fantastic documentary. And if you haven't seen it, go watch it right now, because we're going to be loading it up with some spoilers. Just a little bit. Uh, Josh, what's Voyeur? Tell me what it's about. Voyeur is a feature-length documentary um, which follows uh, an author uh, named Gay Talese, who uh, you know is a renowned author, but um, when we were making the film, was um, writing a book called *The Voyeur's Motel* um, about a voyeur in Denver, Colorado, named Gerald Foose, who owned and operated a motel uh, for the express purpose to use it as a facility. So, I mean, the, the motel had been long closed, but this is back in the 70s and 80s, but, um, but he, uh, he owned it and re-outfitted the attic space as a crawl space with vents. And he would peer down the vents and watch people below having sex. And he'd be up there and masturbating. And sometimes his wife would come up there and he'd have sex with his wife and the whole nine yards. It was this whole thing. So, so the story followed. It's, a, it's, a, it's an artist. It's an art, it's a kind of like a, you know, it's like one of those weird Russian dolls um, becomes a little meta where it's like an artist following an artist, following a subject or, you know, that's, uh, you know, Gay is telling a story of Gerald and when we're telling the story of Gay telling the story of Gerald and, and then the film becomes a little meta itself. So, um, so, and, and then, you know, and then crazy stuff happened. Uh, so. <laughs> Hijinks and Sue. <laughs> Uh, and that's actually kind of what I wanted to talk about because, you know, there's always a discussion in a documentary about character arcs and 
following through and you know your character's journey as they go from point a decide that they want to try to do something proceed through it face their trials either succeed or fail and what happens to them as they you know return home from the journey and what they've learned etc cetera, etc cetera. so i'm just curious before we get into uh, that particular hiccup that happened in the film i was kind of wondering what you saw as a care as the arc for uh gay talise and gerald foos before the hijinks ensued well we had the uh... When we first started making the movie, in all honesty, we didn't really even know if we were going to get access to, to Gerald Foose. We, we approached Kay, Miles and I, and Trisha, uh, Trisha's, Trisha, Bar Trisha Corey um, is my wife, uh, but she's also my, our producer and the film's producer and is amazing. Uh, so anyway, Trisha and Miles Kane, who co-directs a lot of films with me, um, uh, went to Gay and, and uh, told him that we wanted to make a documentary about him but we didn't want to make a, a film that was a biopic per se. We didn't want to tell the story of Gay Talese as a famed author. We wanted to tell that story through the lens of a project that he was currently working on. And we felt that the voyeur story was fascinating and interesting in its own right, and also um, spoke to the type of controversial material that Gay Talese was attracted to. So we felt it was like the perfect, you know, new crazy story to follow. Um, uh, you know, and he'd been he'd been trying to make this for 30 years and all this stuff. So it was just a really, it just all fell in place. Gay wasn't sure at the time. He knew he was writing the book because he had just convinced Gerald to go along um, on the journey with him, but he wasn't sure that he would he would be able to get us access. So um, so we started making it, and we were about a, we were about eight months to a year in before we even ever met um, Gerald Foose. Uh, we flew up to Denver and met him and shot for four four slash five days, four and a half days. And um, it was great, it was crazy. And that's, after that point, it was pretty clear that we had access to everybody and we knew, we knew that there was something there because it just started to all fall into place. However, as you said with docs, especially when you're, when you're following something in real time, mm -hmm. where's the story going? Mm -hmm. We didn't know, you know, so when you never, you very rarely know. So, um, but we did know that at some point the book would be finished and we did know that um, Gerald would have to um, face his crimes in the eyes of the public. And we did know that, um, that there would be some sort of something would happen, you know. And we, when we were pitching it to people for funding and, and, and uh, we were like, hey, look, you know, this book might come out and it could be a catastrophe and it could blow up and it could be intense and that's great cinema. Or it could, you know, land with a, a, a splat and nothing happens. And, and, uh, and then Gerald feels like this thing he was worried about his whole life suddenly doesn't have as much meaning as he thought. And that could also be interesting in its own narrative way. So mm -hmm. we're trying to cover our bases a little bit, but I still believe that either of those versions could have been an interesting film. Um, so that's how we were pitching it and that's how we we're thinking about it. It just so happens that th this shit did hit the fan, so cool. I guess cool for a film, you know, cool for an arc, but um, but it, so I guess we got lucky in that way. But uh, it's kind of just it's some a little bit of blind faith. But you also have to stay, you know, you have to stay nimble while you're making it and try to just try to follow the right paths and and, and chase the story and figure out what the best angle is and you know that's all it is. But it's a gamble. 
I am curious uh, because I got the impression from the film, and I'm curious if this was just steaks that you guys had on your plate. Because I kind of felt like Gay Talese was writing, or at least preparing to write what could have been his last book, because he was he was an elderly author at the time of filming. Am I like was that like yeah. steaks as well for you guys? Well, sort of, but it's like you know, I mean, Gay. I mean, Gay's pretty. You know, he's he's a pretty active. I mean, he's eighty-five. Well, now he's not eighty-five. He's probably eighty. I don't know how old he is. Older than that. Um, it was a couple of years ago. So. Uh, but he's super healthy, super active, just tons of energy. So, I mean, any, of course, when you're in your eighties, you never know, you know, something right. can happen. Uh, but, um, but we were all hoping and, you know, I just didn't feel like it didn't feel like it was his last book per se, but again, when you're 85 and the same thing with Gerald, it's like when Gerald's Gerald was also 85 and, and, and Gay was very open about this. He said, this guy can die any day. Uh, he's, gay's words not ours mm-hmm. you know he's overweight he's unhealthy he's blah 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 and uh you know you could just go so gay wanted to tell the story in that way so but i don't know i mean i guess you don't want to think about your subjects dying so um that's just something to you know, i don't know I just want to put it to the side i guess but um but i guess that that could have been something that was in there of course and and definitely in the back of our heads especially when the project was taking longer and longer i guess i was more concerned about gerald's health than i was with gay even though i think i think gay's a little older but it doesn't really matter again it's about health not age so um and gay always felt very healthy and and vigorous and and gerald did too but much less so um but yeah yeah hey, what kind of did keep push you like well when you say it kept taking longer and longer was there stuff outside of the event that we're gonna be talking about that kept on pushing this along yeah i mean like whenever you make something about an artist making something you're at the mercy of their schedule so it just was taking gay a really long time to write it and then it was taking well, not a really long time i mean stuff takes time but it was take it took him a lot it took him longer than anticipated to write it and then it took a really long time for the new yorker to 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 get it together and edit it and then release it and it just it just took a lot longer than we had thought um but that's not uncommon with documentaries when you make a doc you have this secret wish it's going to be done in a year and a half eight months later <laughs> production's wrapped and you know you never you know it's never going to be but you just kind of like cross your fingers you're like come on but it just takes time so and i've made enough we've made enough films to know that like I mean, I don't want things to take five years, but you know, you just gotta you just gotta keep telling the story until it's done. Mm-hmm. Keep shooting and keep developing the story until it's done. Well, that's something I'd like to talk about in a bit, but let's get to uh, to the media thing because I remember specifically when this event uh, happened because you were late to a Battlefront game we were having. <laughs> uh, we were both drinking, I believe, that night uh, when we come to find out that, unbeknownst to Gay Talese, uh, at a kind of late stage of writing the book, Gerald Fusi found out, or, or Gay Talese found out that Gerald had a partner. Is that how it went? No, it was like, it, it, it was, I mean, it's complicated, and I, I do recommend you watch the movie. Absolutely. To get the details. But, um, so, so there was, there was two, there was two beats in the film, and there's, I mean, the, the film, I keep saying film, but it's life. So Gay was writing an article for the New Yorker, and the New Yorker article came out in this in April of 2016, mm-hmm. and then the book was to follow 
a few months later. So I think it came out in July, mid-July. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, so the, the article came out and it was a huge hit. And we and it was great footage and, and it, you know, Gerald's story finally got out into the public and it was, you know, this thing and it felt like it was getting all this amazing footage and, and it became the story of the uh, an artist and, 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 and subject, artist-subject relationship. And it was, just, it was just great in all that way and the footage was wonderful. But then what ended up happening is before the book was released, um, the Washington Post uh, did an article and it was basically about how... Um, uh, all the facts, from their point of view, all the facts in Gay's book are not correct. And um, Gerald owned the motel longer than he had said, and it just kind of, and, and he had he had sold it to this other person who was a friend of his, and it just got really murky really fast, and it, and it became evident that 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 Gerald hadn't been completely forthright um, during this process with Gay and in turn with us. So, and that become this big. There was this huge press, you know, bomb that that went off right before the book, and Gay was in damage control, and Gerald was freaking out and crushed and manic and upset and pissed off, and it was just it was just madness. So, and then the book was released, and that did affect the way that the book was perceived. I think I feel, um, and uh, you know, and it was still ultimately a success, but it was, um, you know, it was just it was just uh, the whole thing kind of turned on its head. Mm-hmm. And what was your reaction to hearing this? Like, I, again, I, I kind of know, but describe it for everybody else. Um, what do you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, because at that point, you were already, what, three years, four years into filming? And at a certain point in post-production, I believe, right? Yeah, we were about three years. We had... I don't know. I mean, it's, 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 it's hard to even say an assembly cut because, you know, these things change so much, but um, we had like, we had like most of an assembly or a rough cut together and we were just kind of like not waiting to stick on the end because that's not what we were doing. We were, but we had enough material where we could stick on an end. What was more likely to happen is we were going to take whatever happened and reevaluate the structure and then put out the best film possible, you know, that kind of thing, which is what we had, ended up doing. But the last right. thing we expected was this curveball, you know, this crazy, um, Gerald, Gerald is potentially lying or fabricating some of his, not lying necessarily, but um, holding back information and not being totally forthright. Um, so it was just, uh, just a big, you know, thing, a big thing that happened. Um, I remember our, our, our editing uh, um, consultant, the person who was working with us uh, at the time was like, no. Oh, Felt like we were telling a really nice, simple, clean story here. Gotta <laughs> 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 go back to the drawing board. And I was like, shit. <laughs> um, but I think the film is more intriguing because of it. And it got, you know, it's 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 great. It's just, you know, it's like life, life throws you curveballs. So deal with that. When did you know Voyeur was done from a production standpoint? Well, I knew it was done when um, I mean not done, but I thought it was done when I remember when we were shooting. And if you watch the movie, there's this really memorable scene where um, uh, we had been spending six days with uh, with Gerald. And uh, this was after the book. Um, no, this was after the article was released. And uh, and Gay was came to Denver and Miles was shooting with Gay and Trisha and myself and Chris Morris, who's our DP, who's wonderful, mm-hmm. was shooting with us. And, uh, and we had this really just intense six day shoot with, with Gerald. And then Gay showed up. And it was good and it was really 
combative and interesting. And, and we sat down for this interview and we had lots of cameras and there was kind of this intense discourse between not only Gerald and Kay, but then, um, it, then, it, then, it, then I and Miles got pulled into the conversation and, and it was combative and interesting. And, and it, it feels like from people's reaction that it's one of the mo more memorable yes. moments in the film. And, um, and I remember after that, I was like, there we go. That's it, that's the end, we got it. Um, and I knew it wasn't really because the book was yet to be released and anything can happen. But I was like, that's, that's an important scene and I knew that. And then, and then of course you get in the editing room and it doesn't feel as important that it does. And it's, you know, it's, a, it's always a massage, but it, but it ended up still being a very important scene. But then all this other stuff that we had talked about started to happen. So it got extended. But, um, you know, for me, it's like, how do, we, how do you know when it's done? I mean, you could be working on these things forever. I mean, you don't want to be after a certain point. You're like, God, I just want to be finished with this thing. I want to make other films. It's been, <laughs> this thing is starting to haunt me. And that can be a real poison. That can be a real poison. And I, I, I only have real clarity on that when I'm about four or five months removed from a project. And I'm like, fuck, I got, and I, I, I know that I need patience when I'm making it because God, you just want to be done so badly. And I think a lot of filmmakers feel this way. It's not just me um, because you've just been living and breathing and eating it for so long. Yes. You know, like, just let it be over for God's sake. <laughs> um, but then when you get five months removed, you're like, oh fuck, you know, I really could have, I could have done this or I could have spent a little more, you know, or, or, or you appreciate the time that you did spend on it or your colleagues, you know, it's like all that, all that work starts to mean more in reflection. So, Having been through that a few times, more than a few times, I've made six, seven films or however many in my life. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I know that it's, it's a process that happens almost every time. So now when I'm feeling that, I can still feel that and I can still voice that, but I, there's always that, that, that voice in the back of my head that's like, all right, just relax, take your time, spend as much time as you need. In five months, you'll feel differently. And that's helpful. You know, that's like the, my inner, my inner, my second, my second little brain in there telling me to not be in such a rush to finish it. Just take, give it the time it needs. Um, so, so that didn't answer your question. <laughs> no, no, it did. It did. It did. It did. For, About taking extra time. But for me, you know, when it's done is whenever your deadline is, you know, it's like, it's, <laughs> we, we got an air date uh, or, <laughs> You know, we got, or we're premiering at Tribeca, or we're premiering at the New York Film Festival, and that shit's three months away, and we got to color it down still, and you know, it's like, that's when you know, all right, that's, well, that's your new, that's your day, and then you work towards that, and that's when you're done. Um, but hopefully at that point, you're, you know, you, you're, you don't usually get into a festival unless you're, unless you're, unless you have a cut that's, you know, relatively close. At least that's my experience. I, I you know. We've never gotten a rough cut into any major film festival. It's always something that feels like it's almost there. And then you just got to work to get it done. Gotcha. You know, what's funny when you were saying that before about that little voice in the back of your head and you're going to get a kick out of this. Cause I know, cause I think we both watched this recently. Uh, I know we did. And it's one of your favorites. I kind of heard, uh, what, what was the character's name? Uncle Bill from American movie. It's mm -hmm. all right. It's okay. The whole thing. So for movie. some reason, I heard that in his voice, and I have no explanation for it other than that. Um, that's that's a dope movie, and that's a that's a that's a it's a masterpiece. That's on my top five. Um, we, we, that actually might be that actually might be my number. I don't know. It's hard to it's hard to put up. Well, hold on. That, that's interesting though. You almost put it at one. What 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 beat it out? For oh yeah. One? 
No, I think it is one. I just, I just hate, I hesitate, I hesitate to do that because I'm like, you know, there's always, there's amazing docs uh, that I'm not thinking about or things. I mean, I know there's stuff I haven't seen yet. That's fucking uh, important, but I, that could change my mind. I mean, I'm, you know, I can't, I can't, it's the, it's a current list. It's a working list. You know, I can't, I can't, I can't work in films I haven't seen yet, but I mean, I'm always trying to keep an open mind in that way. But I, I think American movie probably is one of my favorite films of all times. Um, and it's certainly the film that got me into documentary. Uh, really? Miles, Miles too. Yeah. Um, because it's the first film that, because prior to that, uh, Miles and I both, not to speak for Miles, but we were mm-hmm. sim- in similar camps. We were both making, um, we're making uh, narrative, comedic narratives, or not comedic, like ha-ha comedic, but like dark, weird comedies and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And then I started to drift towards documentary and Miles continued to make um, dark uh, uh, comedic narratives. And then and then around American movie time, when we both watched it, we're so moved by it, not immediately, but following, mm-hmm. I, you know, we just realized that just the power of documentary and the power of comedy and documentary and I started to become more in tune with great comedic docs. And it just made me realize that uh, that nonfiction, you know, truth is stranger than fiction, as everyone says, and it's true. Um, but also um, truth can be funnier than fiction. And, and when it really works, it's really funny. And it's really powerful because it has gravity and stakes that fiction film doesn't always have. And, and I found that it transformational in terms of me as a, as a filmmaker. It just really changed my perspective on every, any, everything. Mm-hmm. I, I never made it, once I, once I started making docs and thinking in that way, never turned back, never even thought for one moment about making a narrative film. People always ask me like, hey, you gonna make a narrative film? No, and oh, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, maybe, like if I had, like, I'm, I don't mean that in a coy never way. Say like never say never, but. Yeah, you never know. I mean, in 10 years or five years, I could be like, Hey, maybe I'll make that whatever thing I wanted to make, but I don't have any urge to make it. Whenever, whenever I'm thinking of films, and I have a long laundry list of different projects I want to think about or conceive of, develop, um, fiction's never in there. It's just not. What are some of the other films that use comedy effectively that you'd recommend people to check out? Mm. Well, of recent history. Um, um, we just watched, um, another wonderful doc that was, um, very recent, but it's, it's a uh, best worst, or best, not best, best worst movie is great too. Actually, best worst movie is amazing. That's not it what I was great. going to say. Okay. We just watched that. We just watched that as well. But what I was going to say was King of Kong, which is, mm. uh, is an amazing documentary and, and, and live and it was great. And it's just, it's just amazing how, how, um, that filmmaker was able to, to to just tell this scrappy but incredibly engaging and funny film um, yeah. through I don't know how long he was shooting it even but it was just it was just amazing I could watch it over and over again. Yeah, I could um, actually watch that at almost at any time. It it it's weirdly it's hypnotic, but it also does such an incredible job of setting up like the stakes inside of that arena. Like you're saying, like sometimes like a narrative film could not. I feel like if you were watching the adaptation of this movie, you'd be like, well, the guy could just go back to regular life and not play Donkey Kong. But with the, do- with the documentary, you can't do that. Like, those are the stakes. You're in it to win it. But that's also when, I mean, that's one of the, I show a clip of that to my students. And um, it's, it's, an, it's an example of when I was saying earlier how watching films can be informative 
I mean, obviously, duh. I'm not, I'm not breaking any ground here, but, <laughs> um, but like, you know, it's like just analyzing what they're doing and how they're doing it. Like the, the one of the, I mean, I love that movie like, through and through. It's amazing, mm-hmm. um, King of Kong. But, but what's one of the amazing parts about King of Kong is the first nine or ten minutes is about the history of gaming, but it's really about um, um, the this one. It's the villain of the story. What's the guy's name? I can't remember. Billy. Oh, oh it's gonna bother me. Billy Mitchell. Billy Mitchell. Yes. So, so it's about. So it's basically Billy Mitchell's story, and you're watching it, thinking that Billy Mitchell's the protagonist, and you're like, God, this guy's kind of an asshole. I don't really, you know, I don't know how to feel about him, but I guess the film is communicating to me that he's the protagonist. So I guess I'll just, you know, I'll just go on that ride, mm-hmm. and then, and then, ten minutes in, it takes a, it takes a sharp turn, um, and it introduces you to Steve Weeby, mm-hmm. who's the real protagonist, who's the underdog of the story. So they built up the they built up the villain and made him this kind of superhero kind of character. And then they introduce the underdog who's trying to not take him down, but trying trying to challenge him on his high score. And and Mitchell was there all the way to to, to, to kind of to kind of put the brakes on his success. So it's just it's just because it, it would never would have I, I wouldn't have thought to to put a film together that way. I mean, of course, now I'm trying to always think of different ways, but when I, when I first saw that, I guess 2007, that film came out. I was like, God, that's a really cool way of doing it. That's a, that's a, that's a great way of rethinking how to tell a story. So, um, and I'm sure that director got that from some other film, but it's, that's what's nice about just try to watch as much as you can, because you can just, you never know where you're going to pull cool ideas from. Um, yeah, I just trailed off there. That's okay. That's, a, <laughs> that's okay. Well, no, I mean, we got King of Kong. Anyone else in there? Any other shining examples? Crumb's great. Crumb's another one that really... Uh, um, oh, I've never seen Crumb. Is that good? Crumb oh, rules. Um, it's, it's less funny, more sad, but it's got some really great moments. And it's, it's, it's also... A, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a huge story because Crumb is such an influential and important artist, but, mm-hmm. um, but it feels small in a way that like it feels very intimate and it doesn't feel very polished. I mean, it feels polished, not in terms of craft, but it feels like a very, it feels like they're telling this intimate story about this person, but it's really this famous artist, cartoonist. Um, and uh, that's amazing. I'm trying to think of other other great, I mean, I mean, you know, Michael Moore is Michael Moore, but um, Roger and me is amazing. Uh, I mean, they're all amazing. I like all of his work, but it's it gets obviously very political and it gets somewhat manipulative. And I understand. I understand people's. Um, I understand people's reactions to that sort of work, and I still very much appreciate his work. But Roger and me is fucking phenomenal. It's a masterpiece. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, um, I don't know. I'd probably. I'll probably just be randomly blurting out uh, uh, titles as we names. as we talk, but. Um, <laughs> Uh, there's a ton. I mean, there's amazing, there's amazing comedic documentary work out there. All right, give it's, me one it's almost always it's almost always less haha funny stuff though. It's not like because um, there's a lot of like comedic dogs and they're great, you know, um, uh, 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 like com- you know docs about comedians and docs about uh, you know there's that movie about. Um, uh, this joke, you know, you know what I'm talking about? If, if we can't think of it. I'll oh, the aristocrats? The aristocrats. And that's very funny and that's very cool, but that's not the kind of work I'm talking about. No, you know, no I'm not no. talking about comedy docs. I'm talking about incredible, engaging, dramatic, heartfelt docs that lean heavy into comedy. Like when you think about American movie, you're not thinking, it's not a comedy. It's, it's this heartfelt, 
American underdog story that 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 bleeds this this guy's pursuit to create something and be better than who he sees himself to be. And it just so happens to be fucking fall on your ass funny. And that's awesome. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's, that's the kind of stuff that excites me. But let's talk about how the format for documentaries has been changing. So I feel, especially with the onset of new technologies, we're seeing a lot more documentaries in the course of the past 20 years than we've seen in the few decades before it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and especially now with streaming platforms, we're seeing more and more and more of it. I mean, COVID-19 and everyone's watch, everyone has thoughts about Joe Exotic. Um, what do you think is kind of like the path forward to this? Like, where are we looking at this form of art being in the next five to 10 years, do you think? Well, I mean, doc is gaining popularity and that's awesome. You know, people are watching more and more docs and, and digesting it in a way that is entertaining and they're engaged and enthralled and you know it's like you couldn't i mean of course you could i mean people talked about there's been incredible documentaries that people have talked about but even tiger king you know, it's like tiger king captured the nation for a few weeks and that's that just it's not totally new but this doesn't feel like something that, that a doc could have done other than in this era um mm-hmm. because docs weren't thought of in that way um that's amazing because the more eyes on it the more and the more popular they are then the more distributors are willing to invest and and willing to take risks and willing to you know it's like and that's all great for for the medium you know Mm -hmm. um the what i you know another thing i which i think because i've been making movies for 20 years and um and for a long time it was really difficult because i've always made kind of you know i we our group our team whatever have always made kind of um, character-driven documentaries. Um, and character-driven documentaries were not unfundable, but they were really hard to get funds, funding for, um, for a long time, because people thought of documentaries in a way that was more informative, and that was more social issue-based, and that was yes. more change-based and movement-based, and people were really excited uh, to invest in change and movement, and they still are, mm-hmm. of course, but, um, but because um, documentary had entered the mainstream in a new way, that people feel like docs are exciting and interesting and entertaining and profitable. And, and for that reason, they're willing to, to put money into to films that otherwise wouldn't have been able to get money 10 years ago. Um, so a film like Boyer probably wouldn't have gotten funding 10 years ago um, right. um a film like uh tiger king even probably wouldn't i mean i'm not not funding but it's like i imagine tiger king had a pretty robust budget you know voyeur had a you had a good budget you know it's like things that are it's like things that 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 wasn't possible for a long time because the landscape was very different and now the landscape has changed and it feels like it's maintaining itself and that's exciting because mm-hmm. you can make you can make character-driven documentaries. You can. I used to call them like films that didn't need to be made, and it was a joke because I uh, I, I was just bummed that we could never get any funding. But it's like, but, but um, now those films feel like they need to be made. Or people want to make them, and and that's and that's great. Um, and you can still make really important social issue documentaries and, and change documentaries, um, and you can find a place for um, more obscure, strange stories that that 
that you know people wouldn't have been able or been willing to invest in prior. So so in that way, it's awesome. You know, um, will it will it hold? I don't know. I mean, I hope. I, I hope people are always interested in the doc, and I hope this is the beginning of something that's sustaining. Um, I feel it. I feel it is. But I mean, anything anything can happen. You know, it's not like we're in the middle of a, a, a time of turbulence right now. No, no, everything's fine. This everything's is fine. Just, stay the course, baby. So good. So good. Everything's <laughs> going to change. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to start crying on this podcast, I swear. <laughs> no, but I think it's good because I think, I, I, you know, it's like once, once, once something becomes popular, it's, it's, it's hard to like, I don't know. It's, I guess it feels like it's part of, it's, it's part of, it's, it's like part of Netflix's queue. It's like, it's got its own, it's got a couple lines on there. Best, funniest, interesting docs or weird. You know, it's like, <laughs> it, that wasn't really the case before. And I think that, or, you know, people are buying and, and, and also the market's changed quite a bit. I mean, that's a huge part of it as well. Obviously Absolutely. that's probably the main part of it. Less, less that docs are suddenly becoming, um, more mainstream and more that the, the the platforms have changed. You know, in in the in the olden days, it was you know it was a long, um, it was you know you go to a big festival and you in in best case scenario you'd go and you would get maybe some some word of mouth, you get some press and 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 you you know at Sundance and there'd be like an, an overnight bidding war and 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 then you come out and in the morning it'd be like you know. Blah blah blah. Bought this film for X number of dollars, and it was a big deal. And then right. you know, and other things might getting picked up, and that was like, that was like a big deal. Um, then two thousand eight happened, and it, it really kind of <laughs> the money got the money dried up, and um, and people started talking about it. It became less about that big buy, um, and more about um, dividing your rights and selling. Uh, U.S. rights and international rights and DVD. What's well, a DVD? And <laughs> streaming and television and just dividing it up and trying to, to, to trying to to get as much as you can to either recoup or to to turn a profit on your project as possible. Mm -hmm. And that was that was a really innovative, cool way of thinking about movies. And it was exciting, sort of, at the time, but it was also a hell of a lot of work. Right. I mean, it was just endless. I mean, you'd make the movie. And you'd spend and you'd another. Say, you'd have to sell it like five or six times. We just spend another ten months pushing the goddamn thing, you know, um, trying to get different, divide all your rights and sell them out and try to recoup your costs. And it was like, you know, but now because, um, um, because of these streaming services that came into the market, it's, you know, Netflix, you know, it's basically Netflix, um, but, but because of Netflix and because of Netflix's success, you know, Amazon at the same time was a huge player and Hulu's a huge player and, and obviously HBO's there and has been there for a long time and is going to remain but it's like all these other services and all these other everyone seems like everyone's got their own original line and a lot original line of films and and to be to be bought as an original um, means that you're getting they're getting all rights usually and they're willing to pay more for those rights um, the other thing that's changed I found is that there's a lot more pre-sales happening than there was before, you know. Really? Oh yeah, a lot of people are, you know, are are buying films before they're finished, or 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 you know, obviously they're you're you're pitching concepts and then and then you know you're you're having decks and you're having trailers and people are buying into 
into docs at the ground floor. And that's always happened, but it feels like it's happening a lot more than it was then. Mm. Um, it's not, it doesn't feel like it's happening. It is happening. Um, but that's great too, because there's another avenue. I mean, I know a lot of people who are, who aren't even really thinking about film festivals or thinking about pitching it to, 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 uh, to streaming services or, or, or television or whatever. And, and then they made that way. And then of course, <clears throat> film will part of the marketing um, campaign, but it's not, it's not like, it's not about getting new, getting into crossing your fingers, getting into a festival and then getting good word of mouth and, and then selling it. You know, it's, it's right. that, that's still a part of the, that's still a part of the process for some films, but uh, it doesn't have to be. And that's, that's a, that's change as well. And one of the things I think we, we haven't talked about is because you spent a great deal of time also inside the festival world, uh, both with the work you did with um, founding the Brooklyn Underground Mm-hmm. Film Festival, as well as the Hamptons Film Festival, for which you were, correct me if I'm wrong, a programmer, yeah? I was a, yeah, I, I, I didn't found the Hamptons Film Festival. No, I no, no, sorry, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't mean to, um, no, 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 you founded, like, the Brooklyn, Brooklyn yeah, Underground Film I, Festival. Yes, but, and I was no, a programming director there, and then I worked at the Hamptons, um, I worked with Raj Roy, who was, at the time, the programming director, who was mm. a mentor to me, and uh, awesome dude, and um, and then I started as, like, a I think I started as a coordinator or something. I mean, I'd been working at the Brooklyn Underground. I had films that were made, but I started there because I wanted to break into, I wanted to, I wanted to be a programmer. I was right. like, this is exciting to me. This is interesting. I hadn't made a little, I hadn't made a movie in a little while. And I was like, let me just try this out. Um, and I knew, and I was enjoying it at the Brooklyn Underground. This is the um, director of programming. And, um, and I knew the Hamptons couldn't get more different than the Brooklyn Underground. So it was an opportunity to expand that is my fair. portfolio. And, so anyway, he took me in, and and then and I and from there I went. Uh, I just worked my way up, and eventually, the last few years I was there, I was programming. I was programming a shorts mm-hmm. at first, and then I was programming the feature docs, and then I started uh, programming the um, the competition, uh, the feature competitions. Awesome. Uh, last but, question of the night for you. Mm-hmm. With that experience and the COVID nineteen lockdown that we're seeing, how are we taking a look at festivals going to be changing for the foreseeable future? And is there an answer to that question? There might not be. I don't know. I have no idea. Um, I mean, I'm I'm just still hoping that uh, that our wonderful president, <laughs> oh God, <laughs> gets us out of this mess. Um, of course, I'm speaking of. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I don't want to get political, but. Uh, 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 Josh, uh, what are you up to next? What can we expect from you? Well, currently, we're, we're, we just, um, this past two years, we've been working on a project uh, with HBO called I'll Be Gone in the Dark, which is um, the story of Michelle McNamara, who's an author, um, who, is, who wrote a book called I'll Be Gone in the Dark, about um, her search for the Golden State Killer. Um, and it's, it's airing now. I think when this comes out, it'll be, it'll be aired, but you can find it on HBO HBO Max, etc. That's a six-part um, six-part series. I was one of the directors for for four-person directing team by Liz Garmus, and uh, yeah, I mean that's a I mean that's a whole new experience too. And it's it's a complicated film, and um, uh, for me personally, it was it was a new experience to be working with such a big team and so many creative minds and so many diverse creative minds and. You know, it was, you know, again, it's like you, you make movies. I don't know. I mean, you make movies just to make movies, but, but to reach movie, you, 
you get something new and you gain new experience and you sort of like level up as a filmmaker. And, and that's so important. Uh, I'm super proud of the piece. I mean, it's gorgeous and, and it's, and it's getting, it's very well received and that's always a joy because nothing's shittier than, than making, spending a long time on something and having, you know, press not totally into it, um, which doesn't happen that often, but it's like, you know, it's like, um, it's super, it's very well received. It's, um, uh, it's, it's important. It feels great. It looks great. Um, I encourage everyone to go and go watch it right now after or before you watch Foyer. You should watch them both. Just uh, whatever order you yeah, like. They're very, watch them both. they're very different. They're very different and they, they kind of, yeah. Um, but they're both very strange and, 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 and good and traumatic and heartfelt and interesting in that way. So, yeah. First of all, what, what, what was the big difference for you working on a film which has a finite beginning and a finite end, usually through the dimension of a singular, well, you direct with Miles as well, so like a, 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 but a very tight-knit creative team versus a series which has a whole bunch more moving parts both from a creative and logistical standpoint, what was the hardest thing that you had to adapt yourself to? Well, I think like, you know, you're working with a big team and it's a lot of creative minds and a lot of different personalities and opinions. And I think that, but that's not, that's not the hard part. I mean, that's a challenge, but everything's a challenge. Um, but what's great about it is you have all these different creative diverse minds and, and, and you're able to, challenge yourself with certain aspects of the film and you're able to see lots of different perspectives and 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 just have all these really talented people in the room and it's i mean it's just a real it's a real gift you know it's like it's like um we've always made films in a very small group in a very intimate group and that's has it that also has its pluses as well but um but it's it's sort of a different beast. But um, I mean, it's not like a, I don't, I don't want to give the impression it's like a machine or something. It's not like that. It's still very intimate and, and relatively small. But it's it, comparatively to our other films, it's bigger, much bigger. And 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 to produce six hours of of film, you know, um, on a screen in two years versus foyer for many different reasons. But it took four years to make uh, an hour and a half. You know, it's like it just in order to move that fast, you need you need you need that many creative minds in the mix, um, but um, but it, for me it was a totally new experience, and and it was so valuable, you know. Um, and and I think I don't know what our, our my our, our next film will be, but if it if it is something that's a little bit more intimate, um, I I will hopefully I will definitely bring a lot of those skill sets and those life experiences with me into that. And I don't know how it'll change me because I haven't done it yet, but I, I know already it's like, I, it's just, it was, it was just, it was just a crazy, crazy intense two years. And just also to be seeing it, I mean, just seeing it on the screen. It's also one of those films where uh, it's, I've never, I've never been, I've never been finishing a film while it's, and that's sort of something that's happening right now too. It's like, I mean, we're not really finishing it. We're not making, many creative decisions but it's like it's like being promoted and it's like and it's like coming soon you can see it when you log into hbo and you're like shit it's coming soon 
you know, the person on the <laughs> other side of the screen, they're correct. This thing is coming I mean, out very soon. I mean, you're far enough along. It's not like it's not like we're trying to cut together rough cuts. I mean, we're obviously way way in advanced stages, but it's like it's still like usually I'm used to like launching in a film festival and then tweaking things, but it's essentially a slightly better version of the same film. But like, I don't know, it's just a whole new experience for me and it's cool, it's great. It's, a, it's, it's something new and that's what's exciting about film. You know, it's, it's still documentary, it's still this, it's still that, it's still the type of movies that I love making and wanna make, but, the, the, but there's things about it that were very different. Um, and, and, that's, and that just makes you a stronger, better, different filmmaker, which is great. Thanks, Josh. For more, head on over to brooklynundergroundfilms.com and don't forget to check out I'll Be Gone in the Dark on HBO. If you enjoy the show and like to support us, you can check out our Patreon at drinkingwithcreatives.com. Also, please consider subscribing or downloading on your preferred platform. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs>